Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, and this week we're talking more about self-steering gear, wind vanes, and autopilots. People feel very strongly about their wind vanes, the type of wind vanes that they have. I've used a number of different types of wind vanes. I had an Aries self-steering gear, servo pendulum, on my Allied Looters 33 back in the early 2000s when I was cruising the Caribbean and the east coast of the States. And when I got it dialed in just right, it worked magnificently. I've helped a friend set up a, a hydrovane, which is an auxiliary rudder vane. And a lot of people love those. In fact, Will and Sarah Curry of Hydrovane were on the program not that long ago. And of course, probably the the most well-known is the monitor wind vane. And friend of the show, Randall Reeves, circumnavigated, but did his figure eight voyage with a monitor wind vane. And Randall's name comes up this week when I talk to Mike Sheck, who's the president of Scanmar International, the Bay Area company that is best known for making the monitor wind vane. Mike's a longtime sailor who took over Scanmar from founder Hans Bernwall in 2014. In addition to selling the monitor, Scanmar sells other cruising gear, including a few different models of wind vanes and autopilots. So Mike and I talk about the advantages of different kinds of steering gear. We talk about the new emergency rudder for the monitor, the origins of Scanmar, as well as the challenges of running a small business and making your avocation into your vocation. Here we go. I'm Mike Sheck, currently president of Scanmar, out of San Leandro, California, a maker of cruising products, including the Monitor Wind Vane, Pelagic Autopilots, SOS, and Anchor Rescue, uh, amongst other products. Uh, got my start in boating uh, at a young age. Uh, we moved to just outside Baltimore at the age of six. Uh, parents always had a power boat uh, that we kept up in Middle River and uh, always made uh, lots of trips to the Eastern Shore or, or down to Annapolis. Uh, just really got out just about every weekend over the summer. And boating was uh, certainly part of our social lives, both my parents, uh, as well as myself as a kid, you know, whose parents had a boat. So we always got together with other families, other kids, and, and just had a great time. Certainly got used to uh, having the water around and, uh, you know, the water then would play an important role in my life going forward as I got older. We then moved to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was 12 uh, due to a job opportunity that my dad had really kind of got out of boating there for a little bit as we discovered everything California had to offer. My parents ended up getting a Grand Banks, which turned out to be, uh, I guess, their first of three, I think it was. We went from having a small powerboat on Chesapeake Bay to have a, a trawler uh, in San Francisco Bay, and it was fantastic. They joined the Yacht Club. I uh, got the benefit of uh, going by the Yacht Club. Uh, as much as I could. Uh, that was my initiation into Ensenal. And uh, then we went off. I went off to, to college. At that time, I got out of school, had my first job in the city. My now wife was in grad school up in the Northwest, and she called down uh, just before Thanksgiving one year, about 1980, maybe 81, and said, hey, a bunch of kids are chartering a boat up in Bellingham. Uh, do you want to come up for the week? Sure. So I came up and the boat turned out to be a Valiant, I think it was a Valiant 42. And hmm. we spent a, a week charter out of Bellingham and it was just fantastic. It was, Had you ever sailed before that? Not, um, not that I recall. Uh, we might've had a little dinghy back East or a friend, friend might've had a dinghy back East with a, uh, you know, a little sail, but nothing, you know, nothing like a, uh, you know, a, a true sailboat. So we, we just, you know, fell in love with it. Um, you know, all the teak downstairs, the uh, oil lamp, classical guitar, red wine. It was just the whole package. Uh, How many of sick. you were packed onto this Valiant 42? Yeah, I want to say there were probably six 
eight maybe. But don't really recall how crowded it was just because it was such a great, great experience. Right. Um, it was cold. It was uh, probably, you know, mid 40s during the day, not a cloud in the sky the whole week. And it was just uh, phenomenal for you know, anyone who spent time up in the Northwest understands that. Oh, it's a great so, place to cruise. Uh, it was just remarkable, just a great introduction to sailing. So much so that I came back and called my dad and said, hey, I just had this great experience. I want to buy a sailboat. And now it's you know, middle of December in San Francisco, back when we used to get rain. So my dad and I tromped all over the Bay Area looking at these mid-20-something sailboats. And after a little bit of looking, I ended up with an Islander Bahama 24. Okay. Kept over in Alameda, stripped it down to nothing, built it all back up. That process would repeat itself because once I completed the project, it was time to find the next boat. So I ended up uh, going from the Islander 24. Well, let me let me stop you just a yeah. second before you go ahead. It sounds like you were pretty willing to just jump in and do projects on the boat. Is that something that you had done with your parents on the motorboats? Where did that you come by that? Yeah, confidence? I was, yeah, I was a little little young back then. Um, you know, back on the East Coast, you know, they'd be taking down the varnish and I'd be, you know, fishing or crabbing. You know, I think I have, you know, kind of the mechanical gene and enjoy, you know, taking things apart and putting them back together again, as I had done with my cars. So I guess probably started with my cars, uh, mm. you know, growing up, always you know, taking them apart and putting them back together again. To me, you know, working on a boat with, you know, a lot of input from my uh, marina friends, you know, no shortage of those, as uh, we all know, willing to offer advice. Always. Um, yeah. <laughs> Time went on, you know, you start to see other boats go by. And a friend of mine called who was uh, in the boat brokerage business and he had a repo and it was this Ranger 29. And I think I picked it up for 11 grand. It was chained in to a marina over in San Rafael huh. and went over and uh, did the deal. And I remember sailing home uh, with a friend in a storm coming in. So the wind was coming from the south. So we're beating all the way back to Alameda. And the uh, tiller was an axe handle. I thought that was uh, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, looked like something you'd chop wood with. But, you know, the price was right. And again, you know, tore that down and uh, com completely rebuilt it back. A couple years later, we moved to Colorado for a spell for a job opportunity, lived up in the mountains. And that's where I discovered lake sailing up on Lake Dillon uh, with a couple friends from work. So we did, you know, fairly competitive racing on a 25-foot uh, Merritt. Mm. It's a great lake to sail. You see the uh, thunderheads coming in from Breckenridge every afternoon. Oh, wow. And uh, all hands on deck to get the chutes down when you see the, uh, the white caps coming at you. So how long were you there in the mountains? We were there for uh, two years and then uh, came back, uh, switched jobs, came back. We were boatless. And then at this point, we had uh, our son was born in Colorado. Uh, and then I think our daughter probably came along when we you know, got back here uh, or shortly thereafter. So we were boatless uh, for a couple of years, but my folks still had their Grand Banks 36. You know, so we kind of had the boat fix, on the water fix. Kids loved the boat. And I think it was just really a matter of uh, you know, the right time and place for everything to come together. And one day we were anchored out over by Paradise K. And we came across an old family friend uh, that we knew from the East Coast. And they had moved out in advance of, uh, of us, you know, prior to 69. Anyway, they happened to be there in their Catalina 36. And we side-tied with them. And I'm up on the flybridge looking down going, man, that's really a great looking boat. You know, and now I've been without a sailboat for five, six years. And uh, so I started talking to her. And she goes, well, it's, it's for sale. And we think it's sold. But you know, if it's not, I'll let you know. And so sure enough, a week or so later, she called the boat was available. We, we picked it up. That boat was called Freedom. And it was, I think, hull number 42 of the Catalina 36 series. So, you know, mm -hmm. one of the originals, really just a, a super boat for, for kids and uh, a family. And we went everywhere with it from, uh, you know, Half Moon Bay, Drake's Bay, the Delta, and everywhere in between. But, you know, then the kids get bigger and you find out that if you want your kids to participate in sailing, 
they've got to be able to bring their friends. And so not only are your kids you know, getting to be six feet tall, but their friends are six feet tall. And uh, we just concluded we need a bigger boat. So that's when we ended up with our current boat, which is a uh, Juno 45-2, uh, a 1999 that we purchased, I think, back in 2000. So hard to believe it's been 20 years. Wow. Huh. Yeah, still, still work on them. And how, how old are the kids now? The oldest is 35 and just turned 35 and the youngest is 31. Are they in the area? Yeah, they're both in the area. Our daughter is uh, just graduated PA school. Uh, so she's uh, moving into uh, the workforce as a uh, PA here. And then our son is uh, getting recertified as an EMT. Both of them are still you know, very close to the water, not as close as, I shouldn't say that my son, uh, got involved uh, with a couple friends. They bought a Capri 25 oh, uh, about two years ago. Do you still get a chance to go sailing as a family? I know this year has been unusual, but... Uh... Yeah, we do. You know, every now and then, special occasions, the Blue Angels are, you know, were obviously a big hit, but uh, I have to say that the Annapolis Boat Show took a toll on that. Yeah, we'll get together on family occasions or we'll have friends and family come in from out of town or friends will come in from out of town and we'll take everyone out on the boat. Um, yeah, the boat is uh, definitely part of our, our life. You know, it's almost like a member of the family and I'm sure I'm not alone when I, when I say that. They certainly do work their way into <laughs> the family. I was heading off to the boat uh, the other night to do a little work and my wife said, have fun with the other woman. Yeah, right, right. Well, and I remember when we bought it, we bought it from Cruising Specialist at the time over in uh, Alameda, Molina Bay. And uh, Don Durant from Club Nautique, he owned uh, that, that uh, group at the time. And I remember we were signing the papers and, you know, like taking a, a baby home from the hospital, uh, when you register the boat with the feds, uh, you need it. You need a name for the boat. You can't, you know, take possession of the boat without a name. So it's a little bit like, you know, taking a taking a baby home from the hospital. So we had. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that well. My wife and, and I, with our first child, sitting there saying, "We got to, we got to decide on one of these names, or we can't go home." <laughs> there you go. There you go. So we ended up with "No Worries" is the name of the boat. That's a good and, one. And and it really. Not so much the no worries part, but uh, we'd spent time as a family down in New Zealand where, you know, everyone said no worries. So when that one came out uh, off the list, it resonated and uh, the name, name stuck. So there, there we have it. I love it. I love the name, but I do have to say that uh, being a boat owner is kind of the opposite of no worries. You know, and everyone always has something to say about it. No worries. <laughs> no worry. Yeah, well, you know, most of the time. You know, <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're almost like, it's almost like you're asking for trouble, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, you mentioned that you've kind of, you've known the Ensignal Yacht Club since you were a child and uh, you're still an active member there. I understand it. Tell us a little bit about the club. I don't know much about it. I do know that it's like the third oldest yacht club in the Bay Area. Is that right? Second or third. Uh, okay. And I should know, I should know that. But yeah, um, you know, my folks got involved in it and I probably, you know, stepped foot in there as a, uh, a late teenager for the first time. What we liked about it, it's, it's family, <clears throat> very much family oriented to the point that they have one of the uh, premier uh, junior sailing programs on the Bay. The other one would be, you know, Richmond, of course, uh, is well known for theirs. So we put both of our kids into junior you know, sailing there at Ensignal. It's a great way to have someone else teach your kids how to sail, maybe how to sail properly so you don't pass along all your bad habits. Right. Maybe like other sports like skiing, there's probably some things that are uh, better taught from someone else other than a parent. Yeah, it was a great, great experience. And then of course, uh, you, you kind of, you know, get acclimated into the club scene and, uh, you know, start to get to know everyone. And it, it's a great environment. It's a great environment. And uh, we've, we've just had a great time and hard to believe we've been members there you know, as long as we have been. And that's been a tough one, you know, with COVID, you know, the lockdown of, of the club. You know, we're allowed to go, uh, but we're not allowed to, you know, bring friends or, you know, outsiders. And of course, there's no re reciprocity here in the state right now. Right. Anything yeah. social is really taking a hit. 
have you been much involved with racing on the bay? It's just Wednesday night can races yeah. for the most part. Uh, I did the Coastal Cup uh, years ago. Then I've done some volunteer work, you know, on the race committee, doing some of the starts off of uh, Berkeley and uh, off of St. Francis. But I, I kind of find that racing is a bit stressful. When I'm out on the water, I really don't, uh, you know, want to be that concerned about, uh, you know, tactics and, and all of that. Um, and it seems to me that when we're racing, you're just really a minute away or a moment away from disaster, you know, a halyard parting or a block parting. Uh, you know, to me, it's just, you know, I'd rather be on the, on the bay cruising or, or yeah. kicking back or anchored off in, uh, you know, Sausalito or over in China camp, you know, something like that. Not that I don't like a good beer can race, but you know, that, that, that gives me uh, my fill. I hear that. And yeah, like you said, when you're pushing the boats hard, like the racers do, there's certainly more chance for things to, to Yeah, work. and I know that, you know, anytime we go out on the bay, we're always racing, right? We're always, hey, look at that boat over there. Well, you know, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I think, I think it's important for people to, to understand there's you know, a lot of different facets of sailing. You know, some people have boats that never even leave the dock. Uh, they just like sitting on the boat and, you know, uh, you know doing the varnish work. Uh, other people like to cruise. Other people like to race. Uh, our son's a good example. Uh, he loved going to the club. He loved uh, junior sailing, but he, you know, he didn't really care about the racing side of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rules and the regs uh, just wasn't uh, him, but he loves cruising. So that's what him and his buddies do right now on their uh, Capri 25. It's actually one of the, been the one, one of the wonderful things about doing this podcast and talking to so many different sailors is seeing the variety of ways that people enjoy being out on the water, whether it's from, like you said, sitting on the boat at the dock or living aboard or racing, you know, there, and there is no right way. You know, you're absolutely right. I spent a lot of, uh, a lot of time with John Arndt on summer sales this uh -huh. over the years. Who's been and on the podcast. Yeah. Right. John, I was introduced to John the year I got off the board because they were wanting to move Salesis from PI uh, somewhere else. Uh, the weather was uh, inhospitable, you know, for, uh, you know, tents and, and the type of activities that uh, Summer Salesis brought. So we brought it over to, uh, to Ensenal. What, and uh, we had... PI was, was what? Uh, TI, Treasure Island. Oh, Treasure Island, okay, in TI. Yeah, 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 yeah TI Cove. And, um, you know, we had a great run there of uh, five or six years. But, you know, what was really nice about Salesdis was, you know, the ultimate goal was to grow the sport of sailing. I should say is to grow the sport of sailing. But recognizing that that takes on different forms. Yeah. And, you know, it's maybe introducing someone to the water, or the sport of sailing through model boat racing, kayaking stand up paddle boards, you know, you get them to the water and at least it's a start. You've got them out of the car, you got them out of the house, you now have them down to the waterfront. You know, maybe at some point they go, oh, wow, look at that boat going by. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'd like to try that, but really also trying to get over the stigma that you need to be a millionaire in order to enjoy the sport, which of course, as we all know, is, uh, is not the case. Well, this is a nice segue because one of the things you do in your current role at Scanmar International is deal with a lot of different sailors around the world, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. Before we get into to Scanmar and, and what it is, how did you get connected with Scanmar International? As I understand it, you were in the telecom business for many years until six years ago when you took over the helm. Right, it was actually John Arndt. Who ah. Yeah, yeah, probably, uh, you know, having a sales uh, strategy session, uh, but it was over lunch in Marin. I was lamenting to John how I really wanted to do something on my own. I used to travel extensively and I mean extensively where I'd go out the door and, you know, fly west and uh, come back home the other way. So just kind of go around the world for two, three weeks at a time. So I was... Uh, I was ready to hang that up. And John said, hey, I know this guy who's got a, a 
cool little business. And uh, that turned out to be Hans Bernwald, who was uh, the founder of uh, Scanmar. And John made a phone call and Hans and I got together. We talked for about two years, you know, finally came to an agreement. I joined in March of 2014. And give us a little bit of the backstory of Scanmar. I know that Hans went cruising and was it on that trip that he came up with the monitor wind vane? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, Hans is a really interesting guy, uh, very personable. He's uh, over in Marin. He'd be a, a really an interesting guy to speak with. Part of our, our arrangement was he would uh, join me the first year at all the different boat shows, kind of show me the ropes. Because your, your first boat show is kind of tough wherever it is. Second year, much easier because you know where all the bodies are buried. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, all the ins and outs and, you know, how everything works is really what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, but, but Hans, uh, just to digress for a minute, um, really represents a generation that took a lot of chances. The fact that uh, he really built up Scanmar and uh, enjoyed fantastic success and really did it without, I don't want to say without a plan, but just took some chances that put him in the right place at the right time. Two of those instances are he made his way down to Europe with a buddy and they took all their money and they bought a, a ticket on a steamer. And they came across, ended up in New York. They stayed at a friend's sister's house they had no money. They got a job working for like Hertz, delivering a car to California. They drove a car from New York out west, perhaps through Phoenix. This was all shared over a bottle or two of wine at the Seattle Boat Show four years ago. So you got to bear with me. And uh, ended up in San Francisco without a job, some prospects. So ended up working selling business uh, business machines like calculators, the old calculators that went kachink where you pulled the arm lever down. Uh huh. He then discovered, you know, I, I want to go sailing. He called his buddy and said, uh, I want to go sail around the world. His buddy Carl, who he actually founded the company with, called him back about a week later and said, Okay, I'm I'm game. Let's let's go sail around the world. So they had their 40-some-foot uh, wooden sloop, and they set off, you know, after some, some basic preparation, uh, went out the gate and turned left. We're talking the 60s? Uh, no, this would have been 70s, early 80s. Underscoring the point of, you know, really not doing a lot of heavy planning or thinking things through, he told me they got out there and they both realized they'd never been out at night before on a boat. <laughs> like... Wait a minute. I mean, I, I'm just like, who does that? You're going around the world and uh, you don't even know where the running lights are, you know? <laughs> so anyway, pretty funny. And uh, he's got, I forgot how many years the, uh, the, the trip took. I think it took uh, six years circumnavigation, stopping here and there to work and uh, replenish the cruising kitty, but just great, genuine stories. As we concluded that night, I said, you ought to be writing this stuff down because it's really, really quite good. So in those six years, he obviously, the two of them, determined they needed somebody else to steer or something else to steer. Yeah, so they, they had a, some semblance of a auxiliary vane, uh, wind vane. Um, and up until a couple of years ago, it was still in the shop uh, in Richmond. And we moved four or five years ago from Richmond uh, to our current location in San Leandro. And I don't know if we brought that over or not. I think we you know, asked Hans if he wanted it. And, uh, but uh, anyway, nevertheless, he started off with a auxiliary rudder vein. And then he told me they stopped. I believe it was down in Ventura. Wasn't working right. And some guy had uh, designed one on his boat and basically helped Hans out with it. And that's what they used to get around the rest of the world was this homemade auxiliary vein. Huh. Um, which, you know, back at, in, at that time, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were, they were something to behold. They were, they were pretty rare, you know, kind of a Rube Goldberg project on, on the part of anyone that was putting one on the back of the boat. It's pretty amazing that actually self-steering gear didn't really even come along until 
I think the first veins were actually used in the BOC race, which was the British Oxygen Corp races. At about that time is also when the uh, first autopilots came onto the scene. Mm. And so most skippers at the time had probably both, and then they had a preference for one or the other. Uh, so you had a wind vane and you had an autopilot, but you didn't trust the autopilot. Or you had an autopilot and a wind vane, and you had no idea how to use the wind vane. So you, you stuck with the autopilot and probably carried four or five spares. The wind vanes slowly were accepted you know, into the, uh, the mainstream, and uh, people like Blondie Hassler mm-hmm. um, sure. you know, kind of perfected uh, the design. And of course, there were many. You've got the auxiliary rudders. You've got the... Uh, Servo pendulums uh, like the monitor and the uh, Aries, and then you've got the hybrids like the Says rig, for example, and then you know uh, a whole slew of them in between. I, I cleaned out a file about two years ago of uh, no no fewer than twenty or thirty uh, wind vane companies, none of which are still around, but just shows you know how many were in existence uh, at least at one point. It is pretty astounding how many companies and. And even today, uh, with not a huge market, there's still a good number of, of companies out there. Now, you guys, Scanmar International is probably most well-known for the monitor wind vane. Correct. Right, uh, right. Ra- Randall Reeves, who we've had on the show, you guys, I believe, sponsored his, his figure eight voyage. Is that right? We supported him for sure. We supported him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's very grateful for all that you did for him in that trip, I know. Well, I'll tell you, um, you, you get very close to all your customers. Um, you know, you, you, you really, you know, and, you know, first off, you're in the business probably because we enjoy boats. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, that's one thing you have in common. And, you know, from there, uh, you know, where do you live? Where have you been? What kind of boat? And it just goes on. You know, we all like talking about boats and we all like, you know, generally sharing our, our knowledge base with others. And so it's kind of an environment that's uh, ripe for developing uh, good relationships uh, with people that just happen to be your customers. Right. And, you know, certainly if you start working with someone like Randall, uh, there's just no way you can't help but, uh, you know, draw yourself closer and, uh, you know, really, you know, care for these people as they're out putting themselves at risk, you know, doing what they do. And you must be in touch with people all over the world and hear stories. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. You know, we hear from people all over. Uh, certainly this year has been interesting to find out what the lay of the land is with uh, the different COVID restrictions. Uh, just talked to a customer. He is in the Philippines trying to head uh, west and Indonesia is uh, getting ready to, I guess, relock down again. Thailand's been very difficult. Uh, we've had people that are uh, uh, trapped there. And then uh, also people in South Africa, which is also, I believe, locking down again. Mm. Um, and of course, we lost a customer um, and, and good friend, good friend and uh, a big supporter of uh, our efforts here at Scanmar, and that's Patrick Childress, passed away of COVID uh, down in uh, South South Africa. Yes, and I was just watching some <clears throat> the videos uh, that his wife recorded after his passing. Yeah. Truly a tragic loss. If people are interested, they can Google Brick House is their boat. Yeah, such a shame. But um, what are some of the more unusual requests you've gotten? You must uh, have to ship pieces <laughs> all over the place and deal with all kinds of forms and the, the typical cruising sailor is pretty creative and pretty crafty when it comes to moving things from country to country. With the monitor, you know, the monitor dates back to uh, the mid-80s, and we have about 10,000 of them out there for, you know, um, at least from our serial numbers anyway. Some of them, you know, uh, deteriorated over the years uh, because even stainless won't last forever. But uh, you know, we're, we send parts everywhere, um, you know, one-off parts, uh, whole, whole systems, uh, really just kind of depends. 
uh, sailors are, uh, you know, in Hawaii and, you know, their existing system, whatever, uh, you know, make it was, uh, you know, gave up the ghost, they need a new one, and uh, we'll, we'll ship it out. So you have a lot of that year round. You're certainly most well known for the modern wind vanes we've been talking about. You said 10,000 of yeah. them out there? Wow. Yeah. But you have other wind vane systems as well that you carry as well as autopilot systems, the pelagic autopilot, the auto helm wind vane, a trim tab, I think it's called Say's rig. Is that what? Correct. How do you guide people as to which one is the right? You know, there's so many different systems. How do you? Yeah, no, good, good, good question. Yeah, with three different veins to choose from, we kind of find ourselves uh, with the ability to recommend the right one for your boat. The monitor, uh, no secret, is you know that's our it's what we're best known for. For example, someone will call and they will say, "I would like a monitor for my let's say a Morgan Out Island forty something with hydraulic steering." Everything was good up to the point that they said hydraulic steering. Servo pendulum systems just typically don't perform well with hydraulic steering. Huh. Uh, for a bunch of different reasons. Most boats with hydraulic steering tend to be center cockpits. And when you attach the uh, servo pendulum to a hydraulic system, you typically need to attach to the emergency rudder post. Hmm. The emergency rudder connection in most center cockpits is underneath the owner's stateroom which is never a popular option to tear that thing apart to you know, hook up your wind vane. So that's where we would then refer them to the auto helm, which is our auxiliary rudder wind vane. The servo pendulums, uh, never say never. Uh, some boats, like a, a Garden 33, their emergency tiller is every bit as good as a boat whose primary means of steering was a tiller. The uh, gardens come with a wheel, and they also come with a tiller. And uh, what I'm saying is that emergency tiller uh, performs very, very well. There's no binding. Um, you know, if anyone's ever had to use their emergency tiller that comes from the factory, you know, usually it's pretty clear that whoever designed it never used it because they're usually lacking either in leverage or they're just very difficult to turn. And so some boats, uh, you can just tap into the emergency tiller and, uh, and off you go with hydraulic steering. Other boats, uh, a Vagabond 47, for example, uh, you know, kind of a pirate ship looking thing, uh -huh. uh, that would be a candidate for the Says rig. Uh, very, very high freeboard, uh, you know, big full keel. Uh, the Says rig mounts onto the back, uh, up on the combing or on the transom. And then you have a shaft with a paddle that drops straight down into the water and that attaches to a device that is connected to the rudder. So a little bit like a servo pendulum, as the boat goes off course, that paddle turns and when the paddle turns, it takes the rudder with it. Ah. So it's a direct connection, uh, kind of a fabulous little system uh, designed by Gene Says years ago. And uh, it is really, you know, about the only vein you can put on some of these boats. Uh, and in addition to that, it looks uh, yachty. It's made out of bronze and uh, stainless. Um, and uh, instead of a plastic sail, it's got sail cloth. So you can have it either tan bark or, you know, traditional cotton colors. Huh. That's fascinating. There's so many different ways to skin this cat. Yeah, there is. I understand that you've recently added an e-rudder or emergency rudder set up for, for the monitor because that's with the servo pendulum, it, it doesn't act as a, as a rudder. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And if you understand the, um, the nature of a servo pendulum in that it uses the ship's rudder to steer, so talk, now, can you can you can you give a layman's explanation quickly for those who may not understand? I I sure. had had one on a past boat, um, but sometimes it can be a little hard to to visualize exactly. Yeah, what it sure. 
so there, there's there's two primary main principles on the market right now. Then the third one, which is the Says rig, which is unique onto its own. Yeah, I hadn't heard. Um, so you have the servo pendulum, which is the monitor and the Aries are the two best known. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the uh, auxiliary rudder vane, which is uh, the Scanmar auto helm and uh, hydro vane is uh, an auxiliary rudder vane. The, the primary difference between the two is the servo pendulums will use the ship's rudder to steer the boat. And they'll do that by attaching themselves to either the ship's wheel or the ship's tiller. Uh, but one way or another, it will grab a hold of the rudder, ship's rudder, and turn the boat. Auxiliary veins supplement or replace the ship's rudder and are used in concert with the ship's rudder to steer the boat. So a little bit like uh, a trim tab. Our auto helm actually has a trim tab on it, much like an airplane wing, which allows it to handle a larger boat. But that is the fundamental difference between the two. One uses the ship's rudder, the other doesn't. Yeah. And everyone's got their opinion. I've kind of come to the conclusion at this point that you're really not going to change any minds in terms of, uh, you know, if someone thinks one's better than the other, they're going to go with what they think is best. And what I suggest people do is uh, do their homework and uh, understand how their boat is going to perform under a variety of different circumstances and making sure that you're not going to need, um, you know, an autopilot assist or, you know, whatever you're putting on, there's going to be able to do the job that you want it to do. You know, and then everyone's cruising plans are different and everyone's uh, health and everyone's age. And you have all these other factors that, uh, that come into play. But back to the steering challenge then, uh, the emergency steering challenge then on a servo pendulum. The servo pendulum is a little bit like a grandfather clock. It swings, swings back and forth. And as it goes back and forth, it takes the ship's wheel or the ship's tiller with it. But now, if we've lost the ship's rudder or we've parted a cable or the quadrant's cracked, who knows what's happened, right? All we know is the boat's not steering itself right now. We've lost, for all intent and purposes, uh, steerage. Mm -hmm. So what you do with the monitor is the first thing we need to do is lock the pendulum in place to keep it from swinging back and forth. Because now, instead of having it swing back and forth, we're going to ask the pendulum to steer the boat. So you take a, a bracket and you drop it down onto the monitor frame and it locks in place with two pins. And now that pendulum is a rigid auxiliary rudder system. So we basically converted it from a servo pendulum to an auxiliary rudder system. Now in the past, we've had a MRUD and it was basically a replacement for the monitor water paddle. And you would pull it up and you'd pull the monitor water paddle off, which stands about 32 inches tall uh, mm -hmm. with the hinge and 24 inches for the water paddle. And then you would replace it with uh, a device that was about 48 inches tall. So a, a much heavier rudder blade. Uh, so for all intent and purposes, you were swapping out the water paddle with an emergency rudder. Uh, it worked. Robin Davies sailed 2,200 or so miles uh, back in one of the early BOC races in uh, the 90s uh, with it. And successfully got to port uh, after he lost steerage in a knockdown. So it worked and has proven itself over the years. But it was difficult to install or could be depending on the boat and the transom depending on the health of the crew it was also expensive uh, to make we designed a uh, a redo about four years ago and uh, have basically been working on it ever since uh, fundamentally it's the same with the exception of you don't replace the water paddle you slide the emergency rudder sleeve over the monitor water paddle and basically it presents you with uh, the same size uh, rudder foil, wetted surface area as our original emergency rudder system. Huh. Pretty excited about it. We have been selling uh, a lot of them even prior to the release, uh, which we just did about two months ago around Labor Day. And it's already proven itself 
on a Pacific Seacraft 37 uh, that lost its uh, steerage in uh, mid-Pacific a couple of years ago, one of our early beta type, beta site boats. Well, that's great. Not that they lost steerage, but <laughs> that it proved itself. You were talking before that you said you, you had that engineering gene and obviously like tinkering, building, working on things. Has that been part of the aspect of over the past six years or so working at Scanline? Certainly. Kind of like a kid in a candy store, only you know, doing it with boats. Yeah. Um, my, my typical day could involve um, paying bills, doing a little CAD work on a design, either for a mechanical part or a CAD rendering of a customer boat. That's what we do for a new mounting system for uh, any of the wind vanes. So we, we can actually show the uh, form, fit, and function of how the unit's going to look on the back of the boat and operate and function. Uh, kind of an important point uh, just to make is boats get more complex with uh, drop-down transoms and arches and solar panels and sure. all that stuff. Little CAD cam, little R&D work on the welder <laughs> <laughs> keeps the uh, creative juices uh, flowing. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's really a lot of fun. You know, the uh, the rudders, uh, just the emer new emergency rudder for the monitor. Now that we're end of the year, we're you know going through our inventory, and we're probably going to scrap probably no fewer than 25 uh, iterations of uh, of that thing that uh, we have a tendency to keep and uh, you know kind of evaluate. Uh, but it shows a progression of the design changes uh, over time. It's kind of fascinating to see, uh, but it's a lot of fun. A lot I of fun bet. to answer your question. That sounds fascinating. What's been most surprising since you've taken on the business? I think that the fact that it is a business, a lot of people, they get into either a business and, um, you know, this is a quote unquote, it's a lifestyle business um, because I'm, you know, working around boats, doing something I love. Uh, I go to boat shows, et cetera. But, you know, in particular here in California, if, if you're in business, you've got to take it seriously. State of California, it's no secret, is you know, fairly tightly regulated, a lot of taxes, um, you know, workers' comp issues, uh, all of those things you need to stay on the right side of, uh, of the state with. So there's a lot more to it than, hey, I've got this great idea. I'm going to you know, go around to the boat shows and you know, set up a website and you know, have at it. Yeah. Um, and I actually met uh, the president of Taco, and uh, I think it's his brother who's the VP. This would have been uh, you know, before I got involved, so six plus years ago. And not many people know who Taco is. They're uh, uh, based out of Florida. And if you own a boat, you probably have Taco on board uh, because they're known uh, for their uh, uh, the rub strips. Um, you know, they make all the stainless, stainless, uh, you know, stripping and uh, cleats and things like that. Um, but a friend introduced me to them as I was kind of looking at getting into the marine business. And, you know, I'd asked them at the end of our, our, our chat, I think I met them over at uh, one of the airport hotels near SFO, asked them what kind of boat they had. I was like, oh, no, we don't have a boat. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, you know, this is our business. It just kind of resonated with me that, mm. um, you know, if you're going to get into this business, you, you yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you have, uh, you meet great people and you have great customers and the industry itself is pretty cool. That raises the question, is it ever, does it ever feel like a busman's holiday? Yeah, I'm, I'm very mindful of that. You know, when your, uh, you know, when your avocation becomes your vocation. Right. And you don't want to get burned out. You don't want to get burned out. And, you know, initially, you know, and still to a certain degree, uh, you know, you'll wake up in the middle of the night with all these ideas and you, you know, you just need to be able to turn it off. It's really, really important, especially as a small business owner who, who's really doing the, uh, I don't want to say the bulk of the work, but uh, the bulk of the, the key decision making, you, you don't get burned out because you'll, you'll drag the whole organization down. Yeah. Mike, what haven't we touched on that, that you'd want to mention? 
about the business or sailing or anything else? I guess the Apologic, we could just touch on that real quick. You know, this kind of gets back to, I think a lot of people, um, I'm 60, almost 64, spent my whole life, you know, in a, in a real job, real, real career, if you will. And I think sometimes we all look fondly at doing something else. And, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, getting into the boat business or, you know, one of our favorite sports. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a challenge. Um, and we've, we've been able to capitalize on that uh, as we have tried to grow our product line. Mm. Uh, my plan all along was to start with six products. And when I'm done with this, end up with maybe 15 products. And, um, you know, both organically and through uh, acquisition. And we've done uh, a couple acquisitions. Pelagic was one. And uh, the Anchor Rescue was another. And then, of course, the organic development would be um, the emergency rudder is a good case in point. But um, I guess the point I was making is there's a lot of, a lot of people out there with good ideas. And they think this is going to be their retirement job or, you know, this is their idea that's going to launch them. And, uh, uh, again, just circling back to that, it's, it's challenging. And, uh, but we've, uh, we've found a couple of these things, and that's how we've managed to grow our, uh, our company, our product uh, offering, uh, by, you know, meeting some of these uh, entrepreneurs with, uh, you know, some great ideas, fellow tinkerers, if you will had brought those products on board, you know, with uh, tremendous success. The uh, Pelagic Autopilot, two years uh, this January, we will have had that on board, uh, developed locally here in the Bay Area by Brian Boshma, uh, one of the, uh, the smartest people I've ever met and uh, have the, uh, had the privilege of working with, uh, but really a, uh, a sailor's sailor at heart, uh, a single-handed racer, a racer at heart. Uh, he's, he's done the uh, trip to Hawaii and back, you know, more times than I've done on an airplane. Um, and uh, that was his baby. And uh, we hit it off after several years of, uh, of going back and forth and talking about it. And there was just such a good fit between our customer base and his customer base. Uh, and that's really what, the, what brought the two, uh, the two companies together. And uh, it's just been a, a, a real success story uh, to this point. And it is an electrically driven autopilot, correct? Yeah, it's um, an electrically driven uh, autopilot, uh, low power, uh, or as low power as can be, yet uh, high performance with nine axis gyros. Nine axis gyros are kind of the state of the art right now for you know, the uh, cruiser who wants to have a performance package. Um, the old ones of the uh, Fluxgate compass mounted somewhere downstairs in a closet. You know, that's the old school technology and the old school software. Uh, so really what we've done is uh, taken components or technology that's typically found in your iPhone, you know, inclinometers, accelerometers, and uh, that type of technology is being used now in uh, all the high-end autopilots. Do you find that customers are typically buying wind vanes or autopilots or i mean autopilots are so common now on boats are you finding the customers have yeah. both i i think a well prepared offshore boat will have both uh, a wind vane and an autopilot and to your point it's difficult to buy a cruising boat in the 36 to you know, mid 40s range without an autopilot. But that said, I am never ceased to be amazed by the number of people that I speak with who have a boat that has never had an autopilot. Talk to people every day in you know boats 42, 40 feet, 36, you know, in that range that have never had an autopilot or at least no apparent uh, sign of ever having an autopilot. Yeah. So it's it's really a a matter then of uh, you know matching up their requirements with with their boat and their their cruising plans. Do you think that's a reflection of people are sailing more inshore and the autopilots are used more for offshore sailing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think our customer base uh, for the Pelagic has traditionally been probably more more inshore and coastal folks. And with the introduction of our below deck system, we're now getting into the 
the oysters and you know the bigger footprint boats uh, with the below deck systems. We've certainly seen that this year when we launched that uh, below deck uh, ram. You know, software-wise, everything's the same. Uh, Function-wise, everything's the same. The only real difference is how it attaches to your your helm. You know, whether it's a above deck actuator or below deck actuator. I don't know if that answered the question. I, I'm thinking that um, my boat has has an autopilot, but when we're sailing in the bay, my wife and I have actually agreed that we're not going to use the autopilot because we have had too many times where the autopilot is on, and one of us looks up and says, "Oh my gosh, there's a boat right there!" And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's great when you're offshore and, 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 and you're using AIS and you don't expect to see anybody, you know, still keeping watch, but you're going to be on the same course for days on end. But uh, I feel a little less comfortable using an autopilot here in the bay in close quarters. You know, that's one of the amazing things about going offshore, right? Uh, you go out the gate and all of a sudden it's, it's you know, it's like going down, uh, you know, 101 at two in the morning. Um, right. Maybe that's not such a good analogy anymore, but uh you know, there, there's no traffic, um, you know, it's the roads wide open, you don't have, uh, you know, channel markers left and right, uh, maybe crab pots, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just a different world out there. But I think a lot of our, our base for that are the single handed sailors, certainly all the single handed sailors, they all seem to communicate, um, you know, either through their uh, fleet blogs or their you know, local community blogs. But if you're a single handed guy or gal, and you're wanting to put your sails up, let's say you're motoring out the estuary, or even on the city front, you know, you want to go put your sails up. Uh, that's where you know, just a simple autopilot can really, really help out. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, if, if you, you know, find yourself getting into a situation where you're single-handed and uh, you, you need to tend to something, uh, you know, you're taking on water or, you know, some other, um, you know, some other aspect of the boat needs to be taken care of. It, it, more, it really then becomes a safety feature. It does, yeah. It's become, yes, yes. Mike, this has been a real pleasure. I am going to hit you up for some of the, the names you mentioned, Hans and others, during the, the podcast and try and talk to some of those folks as well. I, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been great. That wraps up another episode. You can find out more about Scanmar products at scanmarinternational.com. And if you enjoy the Out the Gate podcast, do leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or shoot me a message directly at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. Once again, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. And until next time, smooth sailing.